0: Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships, to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life, and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. You're listening to Find Your Hum. I'm Kirsty, your host, and this is episode 15. Last week, I spoke about my own personal experience with skin health. I believe there is such power in sharing our stories. We all have had, or may even be currently experiencing, something in our lives that is holding us back or that we are finding kind of feels like a constant battle. Through sharing our experiences, we can all learn something to help us through whatever it is we are dealing with. So if you missed that one, please pop back and have a listen. Today's episode explores the link between SIBO, small intestinal bacteria overgrowth and rosacea. If you listened to the gut health and psoriasis episode, you would now be well aware that the gut and the skin are very much linked. Today, we are looking at what is happening in our small intestines and how that can be showing up on our skin. Now, you don't have to have rosacea to have SIBO, but there is more research emerging that for those that have rosacea, SIBO could be an underlying driver to this condition. As you will hear, SIBO is actually the cause behind that all-too-common syndrome, IBS. One in nine people are now experiencing IBS. So if you are one of those, or you know someone that is, you will also find this episode really helpful. Much like the psoriasis episode, this episode is actually one of the Heal Thy Skin podcast, where I was lucky enough to be the person being interviewed. Now personally experiencing both rosacea and SIBO, this is one of my favorite topics to discuss. So, in this episode, you will notice that there is a little intro after this one by Marnie, the host of the Heal Thy Skin podcast, and then Marnie takes over with me answering the questions. Heal Thy Skin is a podcast by Derm Health Co. Derm Health Co was created to provide education, community, and treatment options to support you every step of the way following skin trauma, disease, or injury. Derm Health Co has got you back throughout the entire skin health journey from discovery and first diagnosis through to treatment options, community support networks, and also providing a source of referrals for professionals. Whether you're a patient, carer, or treatment provider, the DermHealth Co. platform is dedicated to you. So visit www.dermhealth.co and I will pop all the links in the show notes so you can find them.
1: Welcome to the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I'm speaking with Kirsty Taylor, clinical nutritionist, wellness enthusiast, and the founder of The Nourishing Way. With a Bachelor of Health Science majoring in nutritional and dietetic medicine, Kirsty has a passion for combining science with connection to ourselves and our surroundings, giving you the confidence to make decisions over your health. And her overall aim is for her clients to live a life that makes them hum. Kirsty loves diving into hormonal health, energy depletion, stress, and manifesting mood disorders and digestive complaints. In this podcast episode, Kirsty shares how her own journey into or experiencing rosacea and gut issues inspired her to study nutrition and the bigs and littles of SIBO. You're going to want to listen right through to the end as Kirsty shares a special offer to our listeners. I started by asking Kirsty what she thought was the biggest misconception about SIBO and rosacea. I basically don't think that people appreciate the impact that both of
0: these conditions can have on the overall quality of life of a person, and experiencing them both together is kind of a bit like a double whammy. So mm. if you have SIBO, you get all those general kind of gastrointestinal symptoms like feeling bloated heavy and there can be times when you basically don't even want to leave the house and I feel like rosacea is very similar to this as well because it's right there on your face and symptoms of rosacea can lead to things like low self-esteem and people not wanting to socialize so it can have a really big impact on people's psychological health from both the conditions and I don't think people appreciate that enough.
1: Yeah, really good points, and especially because for some that may be a little less educated about rosacea, it might be seen as a cosmetic concern. And yeah. then same with SIBO because people can't see it. Often if we can't see a disease, it doesn't give have enough kind of credit behind it because people think, well, I can't see it, so it mustn't be that bad.
0: Yeah, I mean, people with chronic SIBO too can literally look like they're up to six months pregnant with some of the severe bloating and stuff that they can get. So both of those conditions can be quite impactful on the way, I suppose, people feel about themselves and then how they project themselves out to the world.
1: Yes, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about your career. So it probably started back around 2016. So I started
0: as a health and nutrition coach. I was currently an area manager with Aldi. And I suppose like many people in the health space, I started to have some health problems myself. So I thought they were just hormonal, but it turned out to be some pretty chronic inflammation driven conditions that did touch obviously my hormones, but also my gut and skin health. So I got very interested in the non-medical path to healing, basically because unfortunately conventional medicine didn't really have any answers for me. I mean, they could hide some of the symptoms, but couldn't really cure me for want of a better word. So I progressed on to do a Bachelor of Health Science. I made it in nutritional and dietetic medicine so I could qualify as a clinical nutritionist. So I actually started out seeing endurance athletes because many of these have the same hormonal and gut issues driven by inflammation because they're on the go. They're really pushing their bodies and a lot of them have high powered jobs to go with it. And I think it's a very common picture that I see in today's society because everyone is constantly on. So whilst I still do some work with athletes, I now have my own practice where I definitely focus more on the hormonal and gut aspects. And I really try and complement the physical aspects of our health, which is like our nutrition and our movement, but with that often forgotten emotional aspect, which I think is really important. So, yeah, I think I myself had gone through rosacea And looking into that is where I found the link between rosacea and SIBO. So that in itself has become quite a passion for me.
1: Fantastic. So we are going to dig deeper into SIBO and rosacea, how they're intrinsically linked and separately as well. Mm -hmm. First of all, what is SIBO? Because many people may not have heard of it, but it is an acronym. So would you be able to explain what it is? Yep. So SIBO stands for
0: small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Basically, it's where bacteria that should be in other parts of our gastrointestinal tract have migrated into the small intestine and have overgrown. So it was originally thought that the bacteria came solely from the large intestine because this is where the majority of our bacteria live. And whilst this is definitely still predominantly the case where it comes from, there is evidence that's starting to show that it actually may be coming down from our mouths and through our stomachs because our stomachs are meant to be quite acidic to kill off any bacteria, but it's often found in patients with SIBO that acidic environment isn't very strong and we could actually be having some bacteria coming down from the top of our gastrointestinal tracts. So basically, once these bacteria are in our small intestines, like they do in our large intestines, they ferment the food that we eat, and it does cause gas. Now, normally this gas is fine if it's in our large intestine, but in our small intestine, it can actually damage the small intestine and what it's meant to, its functions and stuff like that.
1: I see. So how is SIBO and rosacea linked?
0: They don't actually have sort of like a hard and fast link between SIBO and rosacea. I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that they're not really sure how rosacea actually develops. So they're just still trying to put that link together. But what we do know is that SIBO is 10 times more prevalent in patients with rosacea. And they did a placebo controlled trial and saw that when they the SIBO in those patients, they had almost a complete regression of those lesions that you can get in rosacea and their follow-up trial sort of nine months later showed that those lesions were still gone. So there is definitely a link there. And I think most of that comes from the fact that there is some damage to that small intestine and also an immune response. So I'll explain those two links a little bit better. So basically the nourishment that we get, that we need for our skin and basically our whole body comes from either our large or our small intestines. So the bacteria in our large intestines helps break down some food, creates vitamins and also eliminates waste. And now in the small intestines, our nutrients are extracted from our food absorbed and carried through the walls and into our blood for circulation. So if SIBO is present, this causes the function of the small intestine to be altered and it also disrupts the microbiome in our large intestine. So we're not actually getting some of those nutrients. So in our small intestines, we have these very small finger-like projections that are called villi or microvilli. And basically what they do is they secrete enzymes that help break down our food so we can get these nutrients. Now, the inflammation that happens when we have SIBO actually damages these villi and we can no longer break down our food as effectively and so we can't extract those nutrients. I like to explain it like if you can think of a a link chain and you've got all the links together, if we've got a piece of food that's in our small intestine and it's six links long, we might need that broken down into three lots of two links to be able to absorb through the walls of our small intestines. But unfortunately, with those damage to that villi, the enzymes can maybe only break that into a two lots of three and that three link actually can't get through the wall of our small intestines. So it carries on down to our large intestines where it's over fermented and cause gases and causes disruption down there. So it can have sort of a dual effect. And that basically means nutrients that we need for our skin health, like zinc, vitamin C, the amino acids to make our collagen, fatty acids, they are actually all affected when we have SIBO. So that could be one of the effects. So our skin is obviously going to be affected by that. Another thing we do know is that whilst acne and rosacea do have different presentations rosacea used to actually be called acne rosacea so we can actually look at some research into acne to try and help see where like the rosacea is coming from and one of the things they're looking at is we know that acne sufferers have a higher level or a higher reaction to a toxin in our blood called lipopolysaccharides. Now this is a type of bacteria and their job is to stimulate our immune response and basically in a nutshell, create inflammation. So inflammation normally in our body helps us heal. And so this is perfectly fine that these lipopolysaccharides do this and they generally live in our large intestines, but in SIBO unfortunately these guys can get into our small intestines so they can create some inflammation in there and damage that villi like I was speaking about earlier but it can also make the walls of our small intestines more permeable, or as some people might like to call leaky so that leaky gut syndrome and what that means is that those lipopolysaccharides can actually get through the walls of our small intestines into our blood and then create this very system-wide systemic inflammation. And that often thinks that they do go up into skin and stuff like that to try and eliminate them because that is actually what our skin is for is to help eliminate toxins. So we often find that this inflammation alters not only our gut environment, but basically the responsiveness of our whole immune system. So it basically upregulates the part of our immune system that is meant to fight off pathogens. So we often see an increase in circulating cytokines, which is another cell in our body that helps play a role in inflammation so they're often increased with SIBO and we know that these same cytokines are also seen in patients with rosacea so they sort of have an increase in things like neutrophils in pustules they can have extra plasma cells in the thickening of the skin so they have a lot more of these inflammationary type cytokines And at the same time, have a decrease in the cells that are actually meant to turn off those cytokines that give the inflammation. So there is a lot going on. And I think that just goes to show how system-wide and chronic that both of these conditions can be. But you can definitely see that there could be a very real link between the both of them.
1: That is so interesting. And while there might not be much research now, there is some more emerging kind of research happening. And up until only a few years ago, we really only started to understand the difference between acne and rosacea. So these things Mm -hmm. take time. So you mentioned that SIBO, there is this thought that it may be linked to upper intestinal Tract. So mm-hmm. what kinds of things might cause or lead to SIBO or perhaps for someone with SIBO might increase their symptoms? Basically SIBO does have
0: a very similarity to IBS. So basically people that have IBS, they generally found that between 60 and 80% of those people actually have SIBO as the underlying cause. And there's sort of four main reasons why people would then get SIBO. So one of them is impaired motility. So basically there's like a wave-like action that sweeps through our gastrointestinal tract that helps push our food along. So this can actually be altered in autoimmune conditions. If you have a severe bout of food poisoning or travels diarrhea that lasts longer than 24 hours has to be severe and like a long time one that can actually alter your motility. Hyperthyroidism can do it. If you've had a traumatic brain injury, and it doesn't even have to be a super bad brain injury, you could have been, you know, riding a bike and fallen off and given yourself a pretty decent head knock, and that can be enough to actually impair the motility of your gut so you're actually not getting the food moving down through your gastrointestinal tract enough and it's sitting in the wrong place and fermenting. Wow, um, I did not yeah. know that. That is incredible. Yeah quite a common one too. And I don't think people yeah, probably realize that. Impaired digestion. So a thing called hypoclivity, like I was saying before, when your stomach acid is actually not acidic enough, and that is becoming quite prevalent in today's society with heartburn and things like that. A lot of people on protein pump inhibitors, and that itself can be a cause of SIBO some poor bile flow so not being able to break down fats properly being in a chronic state of fight or flight I mean I think <laughs> could say that you know most of the western world is living in a state of fight or flight most of the time and just some general microbiome dysfunction and then we obviously got like impaired flow so this is different to motility so it's basically caused by ad- adhesions So this is going to be the result of abdominal surgery. Endometriosis is a massive one linking back to SIBO, causing those adhesions and actually stopping the flow through the intestines and the large intestines. If you've had a ruptured appendix or ovaries that have burst, that can also cause adhesions. And then some medications, like if you're suffering severely with diarrhea, any of those anti-diarrhea medications like commodium can definitely be a cause. Some antidepressants, strong painkillers like codeine, morphine, cholesterol-lowering drugs, all of these things can actually be underlying causes. And sort of once you go through the list, you can really see how SIBO could be quite prevalent in a lot of IBS cases and people that generally have gastrointestinal disorders. So the signs and symptoms are very similar, like belching, bloating. You've got really bad wind. Some abdominal pain can be quite common. Food reactions are very common in SIBO, especially chronic SIBO. So any of those symptoms are very telling. Basically, the only way you can really tell signs and symptoms are really good is through a breath test. So you can actually take a breath test and it will show you how much the gases that are produced from SIBO, which is either a methane or a hydrogen gas, will tell you which you're dominant in. And that can also help with given the treatment that you need to be given, depending which gas is higher.
1: What a huge list of possible causes. I had absolutely no idea. And yeah, of course, it seems like almost everyone has experienced (laughs) one of those things at one point in time. I guess it would also depend that some people might be more susceptible because of other things going on. In regards to treatments, what are the treatment options?
0: I myself will follow Dr. Norella Jacobi. She's actually an Australian naturopathic doctor, likes to call herself the SIBO doctor. So she basically spends her life looking and researching and treating SIBO patients. So she's developed a protocol that basically has a biphasic diet So the first phase of the diet is aimed at really getting symptom relief. So it is a little bit restrictive and we do take a lot of food out and we really get a lot of symptom relief, get patients back to sort of feeling good about themselves and then move on to the second phase. And that's where we add antimicrobials. And this is to kill off the bacteria that's in the small intestines. In Australia and the UK, we use herbal antimicrobials. In the US, a lot of naturopathic doctors use an antibiotic called rifaximin at a low dose and that can also help relieve the SIBO. There's actually no real evidence to show one is better than the other, whether you use herbal antimicrobials or the actual antibiotic so I tend to well, I prefer to use the herbal ones anyway they're a little less harsh on the large intestine and our microbiome and then we spend a lot of time re the foods that we had taken out and we really need to rebuild that microbiome because a lot of the foods we do take out are actually foods that feed our large intestine and our microbiome We take these out because they're also the foods that are going to feed that bacteria in our small intestine. So we do spend a lot of time rebuilding that. And there's also a lot of time really paying attention to those underlying causes. If we don't address those underlying causes of what's going on, then it's very possible that a client will relapse and yeah, they have to go through the treatment again. This This treatment is definitely a marathon though, not a sprint. And I think a lot of the times when people finally get a SIBO diagnosis, the SIBO itself has been around for quite a long time. So it's quite chronic. And then if you think about some of those underlying causes, they've obviously been there for a while and are in quite a chronic state to have caused the SIBO. So yeah, there can be a lot of healing that needs to be done in some of these patients.
1: I see. And for those that may either be misdiagnosed or not diagnosed what are the risks of untreated SIBO? It really comes down to the nutritional
0: deficiencies that you can experience. Yeah. You could have like the best diet in the world, but if your body can't absorb, the nutrients that you're eating from like when I've said before about how we're missing some of those nutrients, this can lead to a host of other conditions and make some of the conditions you already have worse. So SIBO unfortunately is not usually just in isolation. There is generally some other conditions that are happening along with it. Like we said before, a lot of the conditions that actually cause it can be happening with SIBO at the same time. So we really need to make sure that these patients are getting the nutrition that they need. I've actually seen patients that have literally been down to eating five foods because they are literally reacting to everything. So we really need to make sure that we can get a hold of this and get them back eating well. Matility can also be affected and depending how long that's been going on, there's some people that actually can't get their motility back. But we can use things called prokinetics that actually help stimulate that wave-like action. So whilst they will have to take those prokinetics forever, it does mean that they can actually have that wave-like action. So it's not all doom and gloom.
1: Yeah, how difficult. We actually interviewed Madeline Kulfus a few weeks ago, and she's a practitioner and a naturopath based in Sydney, mm-hmm. and they do a lot of intravenous um, type of like nutrient. Trips and things like that. In your experience, this is just kind of a swing off question, but have you seen that type of intravenous type nutrient absorption be used for those with SIBO or those with gut issues? Not directly for those, but I absolutely
0: wholeheartedly think that they would be amazing because you are bypassing the need for it to be absorbed through the small intestine. So I just think the use of intravenous nutrients especially in patients that really need to get some levels restored are absolutely amazing it's sort of bypassing the part of the system that's not working properly
1: Mm, absolutely and in your experience we've mentioned rosacea but can SIBO perhaps lead to developing other skin conditions not that I'm aware of the probably biggest other one that would be
0: prevalent might be the presence of hives because zebra often has a histamine link and we know that um, hives are driven by a histamine reaction in the body but other than that no like it was mainly just rosacea
1: And I'd love to hear a little bit more about the work that you do. You mentioned that you have worked with athletes and now you're working more like a private consulting type thing. Have you got some favourite case studies, career moments where you just got really great results for your patient and it just reminded you why you do what you do? Yeah, so I've got probably two that
0: I really love. So one's an athlete. Um, She did those crazy ultra man type of races where you literally race for three days, which I just think myself is a little bit crazy. And why would you do that? But she was often finding that her recovery was quite poor. And when you need to be training every day, you need to, your body needs to be in really good condition to be able to keep coming back. As soon as she did a training race, so she would often do just a marathon run as a training race She would be sick in bed for three or four days afterwards. So her immune system was quite compromised. Um, There was often times when, like most endurance athletes, they would have to make toilet breaks along their way, which can be a bit of a problem. So working with her got her to the point where she did never missed a training session, didn't get sick. She absolutely nailed her three-day event. And even after that, didn't have any of her normal immune reactions. She didn't have to stop for her toilet breaks along the way. So that was pretty amazing because she was yeah. in a pretty bad spot uh, when she came. Yeah. So it just made her race um, all much, the much more enjoyable as and much And probably better
1: times as well, if she wasn't having yes. to stop along the way.
0: Yeah. And you get to enjoy it more. You get yeah. to enjoy the, the race more. And the other one was I had a client who came to me and she had started to put on a fair bit of weight. Um, She couldn't shift it. She was tired, constant headaches that were often turning into migraines. She had very low energy, but she was pretty much nauseous and was hardly eating anything. So she felt nauseous all the time. And as soon as she started to eat, she had this really reaction that she just couldn't eat anymore, like literally couldn't put any more food in her mouth. So I started working with her to try and really restore some of her vitality so we could get her back to eating and just stimulate that digestion again to basically get her to want to eat that mean you can't really have great energy if you're not getting any food into your body so we started there she's also getting some quite bad abdominal pain so I actually referred her off to her doctor and found out that she did actually have a stomach ulcer so we looked at um some natural ways of healing that and calming that down. And in doing that, she was able to eat again. She has started to lose weight really gradually because she is being able to get up and exercise. She's eating like three times the amount of food that she was and yeah, doesn't have headaches anymore. Yeah. She's full of energy. It's just, it's so nice to be able to see the change in people and like her Life has literally changed from being able to, I don't know, just find more enjoyment in food and movement and Mm. just general life again. It's great.
1: Mm, Yeah, such great stories. And I can imagine both of them were quite journeys, but it just shows that once there's like a, a proper diagnosis and a proper treatment plan that people don't have to live in discomfort, you know, their whole lives or live feeling like this because they think that this is a new normal for them. So that's really yeah, encouraging. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I think that's probably my favorite part too, because unfortunately, by the time people do come to me, they generally are in a bit of a chronic state. Um, So yeah, being able to really work with them, yes, just absolutely lights me up.
1: Now on the contrast, or I guess when it comes to clients first coming to see you, managing patient expectations is something that all practitioners, therapists, clinicians in every industry have struggled with at one point of time. How do you manage this? I always find the best approach is to be very honest with them from the
0: start. Like I said, I see people where their conditions are at that chronic level. They have often been to the doctors for a long time without any luck. And I don't say this because I'm doctor bashing because I absolutely do not doctor bash. I just think it's the reality of the current way it is. A lot of these people need long-term lifestyle and nutrition management. And that unfortunately is not something that doctors get the ability to do. So often when clients come to me, they have been dealing with their symptoms for a long time, and it's going to take a while to reverse that. What I like to tell them though, is that the body is basically always trying to keep us safe and return us to that nice homeostasis point where everything's working as it should be. So as long as we can give the body exactly what it needs in terms of that um, nutritional, physical, emotional health and support, then it
1: will do what it needs to do to make us better. Mm, Yeah, so true. Now in regards bringing it back to SIBO, Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think will change in the future of either testing and and treating? I think as the more studies come out about SIBO, I feel like
0: we'll be able to actually get the medical profession on board with this actually being a condition. So therefore, we'll be able to get treatment for our patients a lot sooner. So therefore, the level and severity of their disease wouldn't have gotten so bad and they won't have to be dealing with so many symptoms. That in itself may mean that testing is more available to them because at the moment, patients do have to pay for their own SIBO tests. Um, So that is great. There's also some testing that's already coming out um, through the SIBO doctor. So we can actually look at those patients that have got or had that severe bout of food poisoning or traveler's diarrhea, there is actually some testing now coming out to see whether or not they're still carrying the antibodies around for that, because that, like I said, has a severe impact on that motility. So we can actually understand that as a driver and really work to fix that rather than at the moment, it's a little bit of a guess. So that's a blood test that's coming out, which is really positive. Um, And then just with anything in terms of the gut in that whole development of probiotic strains and just really understanding that whole terrain so much better will allow us to really be able to pinpoint exactly how to treat our clients and that will allow them to get better quicker.
1: Yes. And I must digress, Kirsty. So Mm -hmm. is it correct that SIBO is not, really seen in the traditional Western medicine? as no, a condition? no,
0: not at the moment. So even though there are plenty of studies out there, and I mean, you only have to put a SIBO into PubMed to see that there is quite a lot of studies being done. It unfortunately is still not really seen by Western medicine as a condition yet. So unless you went to a natural health practitioner you wouldn't get a diagnosis and therefore you wouldn't really get treatment on it
1: well wow, interesting and just in comparison to say IBS is IBS mm-hmm. something that is recognized
0: yeah so you'll often get a diagnosis of IBS from your doctor and that is after they've ruled out any other kind of possibilities so IBS is generally a term that they give for people that have gastrointestinal disorders or symptoms that there's actually really no other cause for so it's kind of like unfortunately there's no cure again for want of a better word and they just tell you to maybe eat a little bit more fiber drink a little bit more water and you basically just have to manage the symptoms the best you can but because we haven't actually dealt with what is causing it sometimes those symptoms just keep getting worse and worse and worse. And that's where we can find patients literally only eating five foods because Mm. they've sort of not had any other way of being treated.
1: So where can people find more
0: about SIBO? I think the SIBO doctor is absolutely amazing. So she has some great resources for both practitioners and for patients on there. So, yeah, her website would definitely... I would recommend as the place to go for all
1: things SIBO. Fantastic. I'll make sure that's included in the show notes. But Kirsty, where can people find more about you and the work that you do?
0: Probably the best place to go is thenourishingway.com.au. So that's my home on the internet and it is
1: just The Nourishing Way on the socials as well if you want to come and check me out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kirsty. You're all the way in the UK today. So I appreciate us being able to talk over the airwaves at different time zones, but so many nuggets of gold. I think this is going to be a really great and relevant episode for many listeners. Oh,
0: good. I'm glad it's been um, lovely to be able to talk to you. And yeah, hopefully the listeners will be able to have a few uh aha moments. Thank you
1: what a fantastic interview there was so much information in that and I hope you were enjoying the geeking out as much as I was Kirsty shared with us a lot of information but the three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were Number one, that gut issues may lead to ineffective nutrient absorption, which then can lead to nutrient deficiencies, which can result in skin conditions, impaired healing, and progression of some skin conditions and diseases even. Number two, a knock on the head can limit mobility and affect nutrient absorption, which may lead to gut issues. Oh my goodness, I had no idea. I'd love to explore this a little bit more, although not related to... You know, skin and dermatology necessarily, I think this would be a really fascinating subject to explore further. And number three, while there are more studies that are needed to substantiate the links between rosacea and SIBO, there is evidence to suggest that for some people, treating SIBO led to a regression in their rosacea completely. So if you are experiencing symptoms that Kirsty mentioned and you are also experiencing rosacea, it may just worth investigating this link further.
0: Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it.